right, with that said, uh, open up your Bibles to Ephesians 3. We're going to be uh, continuing our series in Ephesians 3, 20 through 21 is where we're going to be at. Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. If you've been with us in uh, Ephesians, you know that it is a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to believers uh, in the early church in Ephesus and around Ephesus. Around 62 AD, he's writing from prison to churches that he helped plant and found. And uh, we're at a pivotal transitional point in the letter. For the first three chapters, the Apostle Paul is talking about our identity in Christ, uh, the indicative of the Christian life. This is who God is. This is what he's done for us in Christ Jesus. And this is who we are now because of what God has done. And then the rest of the chap, the rest of the book, chapters four through six, is how do we respond to God's love? How do we respond to God's grace? How do we live our life? We are a people, Christians, who simply live our lives uh, responding to God's pursuit, God's initiative in our life. So the indicative uh, is chapters one through three. This is all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And the imperative, four through six, is the command. What do we now do? How should we live in light of who God is and what he's done for us? And the bridge connecting those two chapters is Paul's prayer at the end of Ephesians. We looked at that last week. It's that most amazing prayer. Anyone raise your hand if you started praying that prayer this week over your life. I got a couple hands over here uh, and back a couple uh, heads nodding. Yeah, God, and would you empower me? Paul's prayer in a, a, at the end of Ephesians is, God, would you empower the believers through uh, your Holy Spirit and their inner being? Would you give them strength to comprehend the depths of your love for them in Christ Jesus? And would you fill them with the fullness of God? And so that's Paul's intercession on behalf of his audience, on behalf of uh, who's listening to his letter be read in their local uh, congregation. And uh, he shifts today to close out chapter three. There weren't chapters and verses here. These were added later. But for uh, our intents and purposes today is in verse 20, there's a shift from praise and intercession to proclamation about who God is. Instead of asking God for him to do something on behalf of the believers, he's praising God for who he is and what he's capable of doing. So before I start preaching at you all, let me read God's word uh, uh, before I dive into my notes. And we're going to read Ephesians 3, 20 through 21, pray and dive on in. Sound good? All right. Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we welcome you with praise. We're here for you. We're here, uh, uh, Lord God, to... To, to learn more about you. Uh, what kind of God are you? And, and, and what, what do you want? What do you desire with our lives, God? We're not here to uh, check you off the list. We're not here to be good Christians. We're here for you, God, to worship you, to love you, Lord God, to be reminded of your goodness and your power and your kindness and compassion towards us, Lord Jesus, and what you're inviting us into, this beautiful calling to be your ambassadors to go to the ends of the earth and just tell the world what our God is like, what our King is like. And so we commit this time to you, God, through the the power of your word and the power of your spirit. Would you have your way with our hearts and our minds today? Would you magnify, would you increase, Lord Jesus, and would I decrease? And I pray this in your name, amen. Well, um, when you first read Ephesians 3.20, um, if you're like me, this prayer makes you kind of want to shout and, and stand up and start testifying. You say, yes and amen, Paul, our God is able. He can do abundantly more. 
than all that we even ask or think. And not just abundantly more, Paul says far abundantly more. And in the Greek, the impression there is super abundantly, mega abundantly, uh, hyper abundantly more than anything we could ask or think. Meaning God is capable of doing more than we give him credit for. He can exceed our expectations, and he does exceed our expectations. And if you and I were to audit our thinking life, our thought life, our praying life, it would actually reveal what we believe our God is able to do, right? If we were to take an audit of our thoughts, audits of our prayers, we would have an understanding of what we actually believe God is capable of doing. And so for uh, a couple uh, months ago, I was grabbing lunch with a friend at the transit, and uh, I have an iPhone, a fairly new iPhone, but I, um, I'm not a tech junkie, all right? So your pastor up here isn't all into like the gadgets and all stuff. I just need, I just need text, calls, you know, whatever, and, and a map, all that stuff, okay? Anyone here like, like that? Life is simple. I'm an Apple guy. Apple's simple. Don't need anything complicated. But this individual was telling me that there's this new thing on the iPhone where you can create these shortcuts on the screen and you can, do, you can press one button and then your phone does like a thousand things for you, right? You can set a function. I don't know what it's called. I think it's called, I tried to do it. I couldn't figure it out. It's called like a shortcut that you can do now on the iPhone where it's like, hey, if you want to go into your home gym and say, okay, uh, you press this button and it will connect, one button, it'll connect to Bluetooth and it'll play this song on your playlist and shuffle the playlist for you. Boom, just walk in. It does it for you, right? Pretty amazing. There's another function where you can press one button on your home screen, program your phone to text like 10 people and text them the same thing. Hey, brother, just checking in, seeing how you're doing, right? Boom. Just one, instead of ty- typing, texting, I don't do that for you pastorally, all right? So don't think that, <laughs> don't think that I have chat GBT to pastor you guys. And, hey, text everyone to, text them an encouraging word, chat GBT. Like, I'm not doing that, right? I couldn't even figure it out. But he showed me, boom, and he just texted 10 of his buddies. I was like, that's bonkers, man. Like, I'm still gonna pastor my people through my thumbs, but you just one click, all right? Um, it's amazing, right? And so what I'm getting at is this, is that I had thoughts about what my phone was capable of doing. But in that meeting, I discovered something new. I, my, my refrain was, I didn't know that phone could do that. That exceeded my thoughts. That exceeded my expectations, and therefore my life looked accordingly to my expectations of what that phone was able to do. And often this is our view of God. Um, Often we think God is only capable of doing so much. And therefore we will live our lives expecting him only to do so much. And that was the the refrain we looked at last week was this, was that there's so much more that God is capable of doing in our lives and through our lives. And returning to the illustration I just shared about my phone, Listen, just because I didn't know or didn't believe that my phone could do those things, my phone could still do those things, regardless of whether I thought the phone could do those things or not. And often in our view of God, we believe that he is actually bound by our thoughts. We have a certain theology where we say, oh, God used to do certain things, and now God doesn't do these things. And because I think that, God actually listens to my thoughts, right? And, and um, you know, I won't name certain uh, theological thoughts, but there's certain theological thoughts that certain things have ceased, that God, uh, the God of the New Testament who did certain things by his spirit and acts no longer does uh, those things by his Holy Spirit, healing and gifts of the spirit, so on and so forth. And I was at a conference and I heard someone say, the only problem with cessationism, that line of thinking that certain gifts have ceased, the only problem with that is God. <laughs> God. Small problem, 
right? The only problem with that line of thinking is God. And in God's grace to us, he actually isn't bound by our poor theology. He isn't bound by our lack of faith in what he's capable of doing. And and God's grace to me and to our church community, as I've been on this journey and we've been on this journey, uh, the brief kind of uh, uh, brief overview of my story these past few years, is the common refrain is uh, to me is, is, wait, God is still doing that today? God is still speaking powerfully in dreams? Like I have this dream and I'll reach out, hey, this is weird, I think this might be from God. Oh my gosh, that was from God! And it changed this person's life. And then not little did I know there would be hundreds of those down the road these past few years. God's still speaking today by his spirit to advance his kingdom, to his people. Oh my gosh, the deliverance, setting people free from demonic oppression. God's still doing that today? That's still a thing? God bringing healing into people's life? Yes, he's still doing that. Oh my gosh, sign me up. God's still saving people miraculously by his supernatural power? You grab coffee with them and you're just testifying about what God has done. They don't know Jesus, but then all of a sudden this, this presence comes over them of supernatural peace that is so powerful they can't drive home after the meeting. And then they talk to you in two days and they say, what was that? And you're telling them that's the living God who's present by the Holy Spirit. And this is what Jesus lavished upon his church. And then they come to know Jesus. God is still doing it. And that's the refrain for a lot of us in this room, a refrain for me. Wait, God, you're still doing that? I didn't know you're still doing that. And if you're still doing that, which your word says, we don't base on experience what your word says, we want in because we want what God wants. We don't have better thoughts than God. We don't have a better uh, missional uh, strategy than God does. Uh, God's given to us. It's crystal clear. It's in his book. It's clear, crystal clear. Book of Acts. It's been amazing. And our problem is, uh, is this, is that we often base our thinking about God's capability of what he can do, not off of his word, but off of our experience not off of his word, but his experience. And often the indictment for uh, people who believe in the continuation of the gifts of the spirit that God's still healing and speaking and, and delivering today is that they base that off of their experience. But there's a flip side to that coin. And the flip side to that coin is that those who don't believe in it base their thinking off of their lack of experience. And so what happens is here's God's word. And all throughout the New Testament, because we're in the new covenant age uh, where the spirit of God has been poured out on all flesh, um, Here's the, here's the standard. It's God's word of what God wants to do in and through us. And so uh, what we do if we don't have that experience is we say, well, because I haven't experienced that, then therefore God can't do that. So I'm going to bring God's word to my la- down to my lack of experience rather than bring my faith up to the level of expectation that God's word wants me to have and what he's capable of doing. If I truly live under the authority of God's word, then I, I want to stretch us today, and God wants to stretch us today through his word, that our level of expectation has to match what he has, how he's revealed himself in his word, not bring him down to our level of lack of experience. It goes both ways. And there's a whole lot more, according to the New Testament, that God wants to do in and through us. So it begs the question then. Well, if God wants to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, The question that remains is how or through what means does God want to do abundantly more? Look at verse 20 with me. Verses will be on the screen. And the the bold italicized, that's me. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. According to the power at work within us. What Paul is saying there, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is that by the power of God's Holy Spirit inside of us, God can do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. And so the easy thought, maybe you've been with me up until this point, the easy thought for us as believers in God, 
uh, his existence, which is made known in creation, and, 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 and through that we know what he's capable of, his powers. We, it's e- the easy thought is that out there, separate from me, God can do abundantly more than anything I could ask or think. Outside of me, just out there. And the stretching that's coming to us, stretching our faith today, is actually what's being said is uh, the, clear, the clear interpretation of this text. By the way, this, it's unambiguous if you go read biblical scholars uh, through, from various uh, thoughts and theological backgrounds. The, 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 the thinking, the, the, the line of logic here is this, is that in here and through here, by his indwelling Holy Spirit, God can do abundantly more than all that I ask or think. That's what Paul's saying here. According to the power, it's, it's unambiguous, it's crystal clear. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit inside of us to do what call, God has called us to do. So then the million dollar question remains, which you guys are hoping uh, I, I, I tackle, which I will. You guys are asking great questions this morning. Is this, what exactly is it that God desires to do through us by his spirit inside of us? What are we talking about here? Am I just gonna moonwalk everywhere and people get healed? And you know, like, what are we talking about here? And let's do a case study on the Apostle Paul's life. What was the abundantly more that God did through the Apostle Paul's life by his indwelling Holy Spirit? And this is the, I don't have three points, but I have a summary statement. This isn't, I mean, we could write a whole book about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Libraries could be filled. We could do a whole sermon series on that. Um, and we've talked uh, a, a few sermons when Paul mentions the Holy Spirit in Ephesians about the ministry of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, so on and so forth. But for the intents and purposes of our time today, this is what we're going to focus on. Uh, the ver- the, this, this refrain, this big idea will be on our screen, on the screen. The power of the Spirit inside of us is given so that sons and daughters of God can joyfully endure suffering as we seek to advance God's kingdom for the glory of his name. And I'm about to throw a lot of scripture your way so you see this. The power of the Holy Spirit inside of us is given so that sons and daughters of God can joyfully endure suffering as we seek to advance God's kingdom in love and power for the glory of his name. If we were to ask, hey, what was God's will for the Apostle Paul? You all remember his story. He's on the road to Damascus. He has his will, his uh, life planned out, and then he encounters the living God. Jesus appears to him and uh, rescues him from his sin, brings him to everlasting life. But what's the refrain, the call over Paul's life, the new will, uh, Paul surrendering his will to God's will over his life? Acts 9, 15 through 16, the Holy Spirit speaks to Ananias to go visit Paul after his powerful encounter with the Lord and to deliver this message to the apostle, the soon-to-be apostle Paul. The Lord said to him, go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine, to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. Now that's quite the conversion story, right? That's quite the call. That's quite the commission. And if we're honest, we struggle with this. We struggle with this. God, come on. How could that be what you want to do in, in Paul's life. And, and I think the problem we face is we, we understand, we misunderstand the world we live in. Like we in the Western church need to wake up and smell the roses and realize that we're in the middle of a cosmic war, a cosmic battle, that we're actually on enemy territory. 
that we are proclaiming we're ambassadors of a heavenly kingdom. We're citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And Jesus Christ has ushered in that kingdom, and that kingdom is to push back darkness. The church of Jesus Christ, in the best sense of the term, in love and in grace and in compassion and in the power of the Spirit, is to be storming the gates of hell in this sin-cursed world, proclaiming the good news about the king who's come to bring the restoration of all things. And so with that mindset, what we see with Paul's conversion is actually it's not just him getting saved as much as it is also him getting enlisted into God's army. Salvation comes with a commission. Right, He's getting enlisted, and then he's being commissioned by God to go to the front lines where the battle is the fiercest. And uh, uh, Paul, uh, being apostolic, being the apostle, he was God's chosen instrument to be the tip of the spear of the kingdom breaking in to demonically like infiltrated, stronghold type of, of territories. And if you read the book of Acts, and you follow the map of all Paul's missionary journeys, um, uh, wherever Paul went, like riots broke out, he was beaten to death, there was demonic opposition, there was deliverance uh, that was breaking out, people were coming to salvation, which was amazing, um, uh, and so on and so forth. And, and what we see then, if we look at all these maps, these places where Paul went, what if those aren't just like, oh, Paul went and did ministry there, but oh, what if those are battles between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness? That the apostle Paul coming in the power of God is going there and proclaiming salvation, proclaiming healing, proclaiming King Jesus, that he's come, and that there's a real opposition there. There's a real darkness there that doesn't want the presence of Christ in those areas of Ephesus and Corinth and those places he's gone. Those are, those are battles where the kingdom of God invaded and salvation came, the kingdom of God broke in. 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 4, look at how the apostle Paul describes his journey, his calling, his mission. He's writing to Timothy, his mentor, his disciple, his, he calls him his son in the faith. And look at the expectation that he gives to Timothy. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him, right? That's the expectation. Timothy, if you were to follow Jesus, it also says in 2 Timothy, he says, Timothy, do the work of evangelism and endure suffering endure suffering. To follow Christ is to share in his sufferings. And the reason I want to hone in on this, like, wow, Nick, this was a great message so far. The reason I want to hone in on this is that God's power of his spirit inside of us is not the magic eraser for removing difficult circumstances out of our life. Like, you can't just be like, oh, I believe in the power of God, and so health and wealth will be my inheritance, you know, whatever. Like, hey, that glory's coming, amen, but until it comes, we're in the midst of a war and a battle, and the power of God inside of us by his spirit doesn't just make bad circumstances go away. That's not how that works. Um, we have the empowerment of the spirit to do God's will, not our own will, right? Some of us are gonna, God's gonna call us to, to do very difficult things to, to, in the face of opposition, in the face of suffering, to advance his kingdom, not our own, for the glory of his name and not our own. That's the Lord's prayer. That's what Jesus discipled his followers in. And so watch this. This is what I'm getting at. If the apostle Paul prayed, Lord, keep me from persecution and suffering, he'd be asking God to remove the very thing that God called him to press into. Stated differently, he'd ask for God's power to disobey God. 
Say, God, give me what I need. It's like a soldier saying, God, give me ammunition. Uh, God, give me rations, but don't send me into battle. Keep me from danger. And uh, the prayers of, of self-preservation, I often find myself praying, right? And uh, it's essentially this, Lord, help me follow you, but please keep me from persecution and difficult things. And instead, the prayer needs to be this, Lord, give me the empowerment of your spirit to follow you into hard things, into the battle. Don't keep me from the battle. Empower me to go into the battle, to be a a non-anxious presence of hope and of love and of compassion and of peace in a world that's on fire. It's not just the power of the spirit, but the, the spirit of God filling us with love, with joy, with peace, with self-control that we wouldn't have in suffering unless God, by his Holy Spirit, gave it to us. And God is a good God. He's, he's not out to just make us all suffer and miserable. Uh, you know that God is a great father. Read Matthew 6. He loves to provide for our needs. And yet, as we seek to advance the gospel and follow him and his call in our life, it will be difficult. We are in a fallen world. We will suffer immensely. There are things that are so hard in life that the only way you and I can endure is through a power that is not our own, through a strength that is not our own. And so instead of our prayer being, Lord, give me strength by your spirit to follow, to, uh, to keep me from the battle, but keep me safe, instead it's give me power and courage as I march into the battle. Acts 4, 29 through 31, the early church says this. They're receiving threats. There's persecution coming their way. And look at how they pray to God. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And watch this, God answered the prayer. And and when they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They prayed, God, would you empower us not to keep us safe, but to send us back into the very thing that got the apostles arrested and almost killed so that your kingdom can advance because there's too much brokenness out there. This mission, Jesus, your name is too great. You are too good for it to stay in house. We need to go and we need to proclaim your kingdom. And if you look at 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 10, oh, sorry, this is what I wanna hone in on, is that some of us, this is what I wanna hone in on, some of us today are probably here and we are battle-weary. Some of you today, maybe it's been a really rough week. We're heavy laden, we're burdened. And the lie we believe is this, is because I'm not living the happy, clappy Christian life, I'm not glorifying God. And the truth of the matter is this, please listen to this. God can be just as magnified through your suffering as he can be magnified through your successes. God can be glorified as as better than life's comforts in suffering just as much as he can be glorified in bringing healing and in bringing breakthrough, which we believe he still does. And some of you are here today because he's done that in your life. And look at 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 10. Paul, again, in 2 Corinthians, is writing to people who are persecuting him, who are slandering him, and saying, hey, look how much he is suffering. He cannot be a true apostle because of how much he's suffering. And Paul's response is this in 2 Corinthians. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and it doesn't belong to us. We are, watch, this is Paul. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. 
We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. If you read Paul's resume in 2 Corinthians of his suffering, he was beaten, he was stoned to the point of death, he was shipwrecked, he marched uh, hundreds if not thousands of miles from town to town, hungry, sleepless nights, uh, anxiety, persecution, slander. He was afflicted in every way. And we can ask, how does this glorify God? Paul's suffering. Let me ask you this. Imagine you have a friend. And I mean you, no offense if you have a Toyota Tercel, all right? Uh, okay, someone writes me, but I had a Toyota Tercel, and that offended me. Um, okay, so imagine you have a friend who, like, had a 1980 Toyota Tercel. It was rusted out. The frame was rusted out. It was dented. Uh, no hubcaps. It had, like, 800,000 miles. Um, the radio didn't work. The antenna was bent. And yet this thing kept going, right? It kept going. It was like, it was like flood damage. It's like so many accidents. I mean, that car right now is like 43 years old. And yet your friend walks out, happy as all get out. He made it. And you go, how did that car make it? That car should be dead. That car should have given up by now. What is that car running on? And your friend can say, well, let me tell you what that car is running on. The Holy Spirit. (laughs) Right? I pray over it. No, okay. So what I'm getting at, the apostle Paul is saying, look. I'm not pointing you to myself that I'm some new Tesla where the the doors do this and, you know, I can go zero to 60 or whatever. I'm limping. I can barely move. I have scars on my back where the whips cracked against my back. But watch this. I'm still moving. Right? And the enemy's got to be looking at the Apostle Paul and saying, we've thrown everything we can at this guy. We've thrown shipwrecks, uh, stones, whips, persecution, slander from outside the church and inside the church. And he's not stopping. He's still singing. He's still smiling. Yeah, he might be limping, but he's still moving. How is that possible? And what the Apostle Paul would say, Philippians 4, 13, 11 through 13, is this. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstances. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The way Paul was able to keep limping, to keep walking. I mean, I forget exactly the town on his first missionary journey. He gets stoned to the point of death. They pray over him. The very next day, he's back where he was before proclaiming the gospel. It is, it is impossible. So when Paul looks back, what I'm getting at is when Paul looks back on his ministry The God who is able to do far more abundantly than anything he could ask or think, what what, what that was, the the abundance of what God could, uh, uh, could do in Paul's life, wasn't just miracles, it was the shipwrecks. It was the slander. It was the persecution. It was the suffering that God faithfully brought Paul through, that he's still smiling, he's still singing, he's still moving on because God is better than anything that this life can give us. And anything that God can give us on this side of the grave, whether it's plenty or whether it's want, God is better. Give me you, Lord, in the suffering. 2 Timothy 4, 17. Again, Paul is talking about, in 2 Timothy 4, all the people that abandoned him and rejected him in ministry. And how he's, uh, this is uh, one of his last letters before he's about to die. He's writing to Timothy and he says this, but the Lord stood by and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. The Lord stood by 
and strengthen me. And maybe some of you are here today and, and maybe you're navigating something where you're, you're feeling perplexed. Paul said the apostle, he was driven, he was perplexed. And what that means in affliction and when you're perplexed is you begin to ask questions. You begin, you can't figure God's ways out. And you begin to ask God, where are you in this? Why did you allow this to happen? Why won't you lift this from me? And we begin to think thoughts. I don't know if I can make it another day. I don't know if I'm ever gonna break through. I don't know if, if God's gonna sustain me through this. I don't know if there's a way forward on the other side of this tragedy in my life. And the hope and the promise of God's word today, his truth is that now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all you ask or think. Cry out to him today. Where no matter where you're at, pull from the resources, divine omnipotence, liquidate yourself of your strength, cry out to God and invite him into that brokenness and begin through faith, through the help of the saints to begin to see how God enters into that valley of the shadow of death and begins to sustain you and carry you through life's hardest, most difficult moments. And my invitation to you, as before we segue to the next point, is that if anything I've said resonated with you, please come forward for prayer after the service. And we'd love to see um, uh, what the Lord, by his spirit, might want to say or do um, through you if you're in a season of great difficulty and suffering. God has not abandoned you. He is with you. And he can do abundantly more than all you ask or think to sustain you and carry you to persevere through that trial, through that suffering. That's what God can do in us. And going back to the refrain, as we transition to uh, one of my last points is this, the power of the spirit is given so that sons and daughters of God can joyfully endure suffering as we seek to advance God's kingdom in love and power for the glory of God's name. Another reason for the indwelling, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, again, it's not the only reason we've talked at length about us being the temple of God, us being sanctified, made, uh, made anew, filled with his spirit, the fruits of the spirit, but for uh, the purposes of the advancement of his kingdom, um, what we see is that God's presence, God's spirit is given so that we advance his kingdom. The kingdom of God, Jesus Christ has ushered in. Jesus Christ came and proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom, that repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. King Jesus is here. Heaven has invaded the earth. Salvation has come. Restoration has come. The kingdom of God is bringing about the restoration of all things. So where there is sin, Jesus came and declares forgiveness. Where there is disease, Jesus comes and he's saying, listen, I'm restoring the curse of sin and death. Where there's disease, death, and, and the demonic, Jesus Christ comes and he proclaims and ushers in his kingdom that I'm Lord over that. That, that heaven is invading the earth. And this is our prayer in the Lord's Prayer. God, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That in our prayers and in our life, we want to live to pull down that reality and see God's kingdom come in unmeasured way in this sin-cursed world because God is glorified, King Jesus is glorified when we see his kingdom advance in signs and wonders. So what, what I'm getting at with that is that Signs and wonders, healing, or God powerfully moving and speaking, that's not something separate from the work that Christ came to do. It's, it's central to the work of the kingdom of God. It's heaven invading the earth, Jesus Christ restoring all things, Acts 19 through 11 through 12. So Paul suffered immensely to fulfill the call of Jesus to go into the battle, uh, empowered by his spirit. And then this is what it looked like when he was in Ephesus. This is what happened in Ephesus. Now God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. And we see here is that God did abundantly more than uh, you and I and the Ephesians could even ask or think. 
by the power of the Spirit through Paul, King Jesus was glorified as what? As having dominion over the demonic and dominion over disease. Paul went to Ephesus and he told them about King Jesus. And then by the power of the, the, the Spirit, he proved to them that King Jesus is Lord over the gods of Artemis, the gods of that region and over sickness and sin and the demonic. And so instead of it being weird, these signs and wonders, it's actually beautiful. It's God restoring to humanity what he intended for us in the garden. And therefore, every miracle, every healing is a, is a breaking in of the kingdom of God. So then, this is the question you guys are asking, is how much should we expect God to do? Nick, are you saying that I should go home and pray over my washcloths and bring him to work and begin to see what breaks out? Is that what I'm saying? No, that's not what I'm saying. Um, we live in the tension of the already but not yet of the kingdom of God. Meaning this, Jesus Christ, as a follower of Jesus, you believe that King Jesus has ushered in the kingdom of God. That heaven has invaded the earth. God's spirit has filled his church. And we, as God's kingly ambassadors, are commissioned by his spirit to go and do what he commissioned his followers to do, which is advance his kingdom in love and in power. And yet we know that that kingdom has not fully come yet, has not fully come yet. Uh, there's a day coming when uh, that eastern sky will split open and Jesus will make all things right. But until then, we live in the tension that, that, yeah, as you guys know, you press into healing, it doesn't happen. You ask God to remove certain things, he doesn't remove certain things. There's a tension there on this side of the grave of how much we will see God's kingdom break in. But the response I wanna say to the question of how much should we expect God to do, my response to that question would be, how much do you want to see him do? Life is way easier this is why we, and I'm speaking from personal experience, I'm preaching to myself up here. When we say, God, here's your limits in my life and here's your limits in my church. You can only come this far and you can only do this much. If you do that, we're good. And instead, what I'm beginning to learn is that there's things happening in, in pastoral ministry that I'm like, well, okay, I didn't, I didn't seek this out, but God is saying, this is my church and this is my work and you're my vessel and you will lead my people where they wanna go. Where they, not where they wanna go, where, where we need to go. Right, because it's God's church. How much do we want to see him do? And this is what I'm getting at before we wrap up here is the inescapable fact of the gospels is that Jesus Christ discipled his followers in faith. He discipled his followers in faith. Not just, I'm not pitting faith against knowledge. Um, Jesus taught, that's one of the reasons we have the scriptures and the Sermon on the Mount. We just did a whole sermon series on what it means to embody the ethics of the kingdom of heaven, but Jesus, you cannot read the gospels, and it's crystal clear, Jesus discipled his followers out of doubt, out of cynicism, and out of skepticism, and he discipled them in faith. The most common rebuke we see, one of the most common rebukes he had to his disciples is, where is your faith? Oh, you of little faith. And one of the most common encouragements that Jesus would give to those uh, who sought him for healing was, your faith has made you well. According to your faith, be it done unto you. Matthew 17 through 20, Jesus says this. Because, uh, and he said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Matthew 21, 21 through 22. And Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, 
you will um, not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Now, I just wanna, I wanna stretch us today. I'm not gonna, I don't have time to go into all the context of that. But if Jesus had the choice to disciple his followers on a spectrum of saying, keeping the, uh, our expectations way down here of what God can do or way up here, Jesus says, I want your expectations of what I can do way up here. Because that's, that's who's in the boat with you. That's, who, that's who's with you by the Holy Spirit. I want your expectations way up here, not way down here. If you have any issue with what I'm saying, I'm not taking this from any name it and claim it, false, charismatic, whatever. This is Jesus. And, we, and, and he's stretching us and saying, do we actually believe what our God is capable of? Of doing. In a way, he's saying, Our thoughts are down here. Our God is too small. I need you to bring them up here. Because why? Because faith is the invitation to tag in divine strength and power in our lives. Faith is the invitation to tag in divine omnipotence. This is why Jesus was so adamant about stretching our understanding of who he is and what he's capable of doing. And it's through faith that we appropriate his power. Jesus is saying, this is how much more I'd love to give you if you just believe and ask. And so um, right now, I have faith that there's a substance in this cup, that if I drink it, it'll give me energy and help me preach because my throat is dry, okay? And I don't know about you, but man, I love coffee. And if I have a really good cup of coffee and there's just a little bit of coffee left, you can feel it because it's light, man, I just sip a little bit. You savor it, right? Like anyone else, like if it's a really good freshly roasted cup and you went so, like to some bougie coffee shop and paid $8 for this pour over, you're like, you know, just sipping a little bit because there's just a little bit there, right? And so what I'm getting at is, is what I believe is in here will change how much I decide to access. And so if I believe that this is filled far more abundantly than anything I could ask or think or imagine, I'll open up the lid and just pour it over my head. But if I think it's just a little bit, then I'll just sip, you know, just a little bit. Hey, we want to be, hey, let's be reserved and let's be, be measured and what we think of God. And Jesus is saying, Jesus is, talking, Jesus is talking about praying to mountains, right? And symbolically talking about those mountains that will move, right? We, like, historically, no disciples ever looked at a mountain and said move, right? But Jesus is stretching us and saying, have faith, not in your faith, not in what you can do, faith in what I can do. So start tagging me in, church. Start crying out to me. This is who I am. There's so much more. And we've just been, okay, God, we're good. That's great. That glorifies you. And God's saying, that doesn't bring me as much glory as I want manifested in my church. He's saying, there's a lot more glory that I want my name to be glorified in the church. Is saying, give us anything and everything you want. You have your way. We take it in faith that you're the God not of lack, but of abundance, of superabundance. Come and break into my depression. Come and break into this suffering. God, sustain me through it. Help me to praise you if it lifts. Help me to praise you even if it doesn't lift. God, give me the strength to testify of your goodness and your gospel. God, give us more. We need your Holy Spirit. And this is why Jesus emphasized this so much is because our very life depends on us living by faith. We can't live the Christian life if we don't have faith. How are we going to access divine power if we don't believe that God is present to help us? If God is present to speak to us, if God is present to comfort us in our affliction, to strengthen us in our gospel witness, 
If you don't have faith that he can do that, how in the world are we going to live the Christian life? This is what Hebrews eleven six says. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For who would ever draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so there's a band, you can come on forward. We're gonna close with this. On the other side of our faith, there's a mighty God who wants to manifest in our lives and through our lives and sustain us and to do more than we could ask or think or imagine. That's his invitation, that there's a reward on the other end of our faith of seeking God. And I'll conclude with this refrain and then Hebrews eleven thirty two through 38. The power of the Holy Spirit is given so that sons and daughters of God can joyfully endorse suffering, being filled with the spirit of love and joy and peace as we seek to advance his kingdom and love and power for the glory of God's name. And now I'm gonna read, I'm gonna conclude with Hebrews eleven thirty two through 38 to stretch us on the scope of what God is able to do in our lives. This is the hall of faith. This is Hebrews 11. It's all about faith. And this is what it says. Hebrews 11, 32 through 38. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, and of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered king. Now, was it their faith or was it the power of God through them? It was the power of God which was accessed through their faith, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Now it doesn't stop there. But he continues, and what we're gonna see, this is God's word to us today. The next slide is gonna be about the suffering that God empowered his people to remain faithful to their king in the midst of persecution and suffering. That he is good no matter what comes against us in this life. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and the caves of the earth. And God empowered both the successes and both the suffering for his glory in his yielded church. And so today, you guys can close your eyes. Uh, We're going to pray before we take communion and worship our King. And we're going to sing a song where we're going to refrain. We sang it uh, before worship. And the refrain is, you are good. You are good. You are good. And the refrain in that song is not, you are good when you make my life better. You are good in the suffering. You are good in the hardship. You are good in the trial. You have already saved me. You have already filled me with your spirit. I have access to your kingdom. My future is bright. You are with me. You are good, God. You are good. And I'll continue to ask and pray for that breakthrough to come, knowing in faith you can do it. And even if you don't do it, let me be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego about to be thrown in the fire. And they said, God will deliver us. And if he doesn't, we will not bend our knee to false gods. So let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we 
take communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are here, Lord Jesus. And God, you're here to help us, Lord God. Lord, we thank you that you haven't abandoned us. Thank you that you haven't called us to go uh, do your will and advance your kingdom, but you left us devoid of the power to do that. We thank you, Lord, that you're the God who's with us in the valley of the shadow of death, and you're the God who's with us by the green pastures. And there's some of us here today who are in the valley, and there's some of us today who are in the green pastures. And the refrain from both of us today, God, by the power of your spirit, let it be, you are good. You are good. You are good. And so right now, Holy Spirit, would you come? And would you fill your temple again? We echo the prayer. We say the prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed in Ephesians 3. Would you fill us with the fullness of your spirit? We need joy. We need your joy to endure hardship, God. We need your love to love our enemies. We need your peace to conquer anxiety. We need your self-control to endure suffering, God. So would you come, Holy Spirit, and would you comfort your flock? Would you instill strength, God, to do what you call us to do? And would you give us the gift of faith, God? Would you help us to see you rightly, that you can do far more abundantly in our lives, God, than anything we could ask or think, God? And so we open up our hands and we say, God, you are good and we trust you. Now have your way with our lives, God. Have your way. Thank you, Lord. And we pray this in your name. Amen.